Another episode of Gimme Danger Radio. It's been quite some time, I know. I apologize for that. Life has kind of gotten in the way. Um, I kind of fell off from doing episodes, but I promise you to the few listeners that do listen to the show, I'm going to dig back harder into this and try to be more diligent about getting episodes out. But with my brief, I guess you would call brief sabbatical. I don't know. It's it was pretty. It was a pretty long break from the last episode to this one. What a better way to come back than an interview and a conversation and songs chosen by my good buddy Mike Taylor of the bands Pygmy Lush, Page Ninety Nine, and most currently Terminal Bliss. He was also in the bands Haram and Mannequin, who were also great. Uh, I've known Mike for years. We met about ten or so years ago when our bands. Uh, toured together. He was in Pygmy Lush. I was in this band Shores. We did a few shows together. They stayed at my place in Grand Rapids. We bonded over our similar taste and mutual love of really obscure bands, uh, as you'll hear in this conversation. I really enjoyed my time with Mike, and like I said, what a better way to get back into doing the show. But before we dive into the conversation and the songs that Mike chose, if you want to get a hold of me, you can shoot me a message on Instagram at Gimme Danger Radio, and you can shoot me a message on Twitter. Uh, you can either shoot me that message on Twitter either at my personal one or the Gimme Danger Radio one. My personal Twitter is John Massel six six six. I believe that's what it is. I could be wrong. I don't really use Twitter a lot, but I'm going to try to use it a little bit more so I can promote this show. And of course, the Gimme Danger Radio Twitter is Gimme Danger Radio. Uh, you can also shoot me a message at, uh, on email at Gimme Danger Radio at Yahoo. Um, send me some suggestions, uh, interview uh, questions that you want me to ask certain people. There's certain people that you want me to interview. Whatever it may be, I'm always up for suggestions, and I love to hear them. So yeah, like I said, it was really exciting talking to Mike, and I'm glad we did it, and it is a great way to get back into doing the show. Uh, I'm going to do a couple shows coming up that are just going to be essentially mixtapes. The first one is going to be dedicated to 80s and 90s hip-hop. I know I've done a couple of episodes of like that in the past. I really have been digging into a lot of the hip-hop that I listened to in my youth, so uh, it's gotten me really excited about that again, so I want to make another mixtape of that, so I'm going to have that up within the next week or so, and then I'll just keep doing shows like that. I'm looking for other people to interview. I have some ideas, but who knows what will happen. We'll see. I'll put the feelers out there, and hopefully I'll get some of those to do the show. Either way, enough of me talking. Let's get into my interview with my good buddy, Mike Taylor, right here, Gimme Danger Radio. Yeah, it's on. That that was the thing, because this was close. It was like really, it was in a record store, a couple. So my buddy, you know, Kevin, who played in City Caterpillar, played in Page 99. He he has a record store that he's had open kind of in our, one of our, like kind of in a town we grew up in near, mm-hmm. not Sterling, but Leesburg. He's had the record store for like six years and a couple. He, so he's just always talking to other record guys and stuff. And he's like, Hey, this guy has all these horror movie posters, but I'm sure if you sell him some records, you can 
trade and like value. So I had, you know, I had some stuff that I honestly just hadn't jammed that much. All, yeah. I mean, it's stuff I like, like, and it was Plex record, which I'm like, fuck, man, I never see that. I shouldn't which, have gotten rid of that. Which record was it? The suplex record, the white and purple one. Oh, a carp? Yeah. What are you doing? I, I know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I love the record. It was just like, yeah. it was like, okay, if I throw on carp, I listen to like either uh, the Rye Coalition split or the self titled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Or, or the purple. Yeah, or that totally purple one. But it was just like, I listened to this the least. Oh, and I listened, I sold a, um, an early lightning bolt record that I really, again, I really liked, but I was just like, I never listened to this. I got to, I mean, to be honest, lightning bolt is, is kind of going to be one of those records that you're not going to be like, hey, you know, I'm just going to sit around and put chill. out a lightning bolt. Right. <laughs> yeah, not going to chill. Clean, I'm going to clean the house and, and jam. It was like, you know, the guys are, I think it's mostly get that stuff is collectible mm-hmm. because that guy's artwork and the, his original silk screens for those yeah. records have kind of gone up in value because he's kind of a collectible just a collectible artist now, now yeah so who signed it is it it's, Toby it's, uh, you do have you have uh Gun- gunner there that's cool so and he's passed so that's leatherface and then yep. um marilyn it's like it says please you can make you can make them stop that and then uh the guy uh frank franklin the uh the oh, guy that's awesome <laughs> and then that's it i mean and then i have like a a teen wolf a teen wolf and then uh, another michael j fox and then a, another teen wolf sign <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> just stupid shit that's awesome uh so yeah man how you been holding up since pandemic and all that stuff started it's got to be weird because you you know started a band right yeah <laughs> so we started like just we started in january just before the covid so i mean the covid stuff happened so we were like a good i mean funny enough when we recorded that that ep and everything like we were just essentially recording like what we were thinking as a demo to send off to try to get a seven inch or two seven inches out of it was sort of what we were thinking and uh so yeah, I mean, we didn't, you know, we were, like I said, when we recorded that, we were only a band for like six weeks or two, not a six to eight weeks. And we oh, recorded shit. that and, uh, and we were about to play our first show with no man. And, and then it just enrichment and it got canceled, like literally the week of, or maybe a week and a half before. Oh, so man. we're like, Oh, bummer. But now we have our <laughs> first show finally at the end of this month. I saw that. That's going to be so cool. So we'll see how that, you know, I mean, we're still nervous. I mean, it's going to be a, like a raging pack to the balls of the wall, Richmond house show, which kind of makes me a little sketchy, nervous a little <laughs> bit, but I mean, it's just like, those are uncomfortable anyways. So <laughs> they really are. I mean, the, the EP is killer. I mean, have you guys started writing anything for another, like another record? Yeah. Th- thanks. I appreciate that, John. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, we have about, 14 15 new songs something like that for a new record because like we wrote that it was like 10 songs really fast and then we started writing pretty much like all last spring and summer and then we did take well we took a break during covid and then we started practicing again like you know basically when everybody was trying to slowly reopen last summer we did start practicing but we were on like an every two weeks rotation like they said you know, there was like, 
everybody's recommending giving in two weeks. So we're like, okay, that's smart. Let's do every other week. Let's give. So we'll give two weeks between practices. If people don't feel well, we won't do them. We were just trying, we were trying to be smart, but at the same time, you know, nobody was going anywhere outside the box. So we were just like, let's, you know, we just started playing and around practicing again and writing again around August last, last year. Yeah. That's kind of so, like, it's kind of, it's funny. Cause when COVID hit my band uh, bothers, we had a show scheduled for like the 26th of March and we were all like stoked for it. It was going to be a fucking killer show. And then it gets shut down. So we didn't practice or do anything for the longest time, but the group of friends that we hang out with, we don't go outside of that group. So we're just like, right. everybody's chill and we should just be able to practice still. So we still mm-hmm. did it because no one went outside of that little circle. So they were like, you know, stay inside of your little bubble. Right. So that's just what we did. And we just kept writing and wrote another record and recorded a whole new record that's coming out soon. And that's awesome. It's just weird. So, but yeah, it's a weird time. Cause now we're like, are we going to do a show again? How does everybody feel about playing a show right now? We had those same conversations <laughs> and like, um, we're all now, my brother is the last one to be vaccinated. He had his, just got his first shot, but he had been working, like he'd been involved in some work where he was getting tested once a week anyways. Oh yeah. So yeah. he sort of felt, he felt safe and it was just like, it was something that he was honestly so busy. He hadn't got around to it. So the three of us are fully vaccinated. Chris had got his first shot, like maybe two weeks ago and his second one's like in a week or something. So I think we'll all feel a little bit more comfortable being out and about, but you, you know, you never know. I mean, I'm not, you know, (laughs) I've seen all the funny memes with people talking about, well, if you, I mean, and when you're a touring punk band, like, you know, like (laughs) how most of us have been, like you've seen some shitty, nasty ass places. You're not too squeamish about getting sick to begin with, but I mean, I'm also try to be responsible and, you know, and take other people's, you know, health into consideration as well. For sure. It's just, it's just a weird time to like, it feels like I actually kind of equate like going back to playing shows to like how it was when I was a teenager playing my first show in my first high school band. It literally feels like that again. Like, yeah, I'll be nervous. New. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, there is, there is a sense of excitement and like I've seen videos of people posting from the first couple shows that have gone down in Richmond the last couple, like actually in the last week yeah. and they seem insane, like insane, <laughs> like people have been ready to explode. Yeah. Like there was, there was a house show on July 4th at suppression and Ryan who plays in Thermal bliss also plays in suppression. Mm-hmm. And that show looked like insane. And that's the same house we're playing. And then there was a cut. They have these under the bridge shows. Mm-hmm um that they do in richmond like occasionally and it, it just looked like i don't know hundreds of people hundreds <laughs> that's and insane. they're all just like you know just it's it was out that was outdoors so people were just i'm like this is crazy like so i do think yeah i mean i think there's a sense of like ge- like genuine excitement to, for people to play i mean yeah. for me i haven't played as much the last time i played music live the last show i played was me and Chris went on tour with the Zark, you know, played with, with a May and her band. And like, oh, yeah. that was back in 2019, uh, at the end of 2019 and like November, October or whatever. That's wild. So it's been a while anyways, I've been chomping at the bit to get out and, and play more anyways. So now it's been, it'll been quite a while since I played a live show. Oh yeah, man. I so were so those page shows that you did out here, what th- that was like, 
2017 was that a while ago now? uh those the, those were 2019 god it feels like a lot longer but it, with covid that whole yeah. year i mean but that happened in the spring of 2019 so a little over two years ago okay. i mean just saying two years ago doesn't seem that long but it feels like a long time ago. it feels way longer than actually what it is when you say it it really does like it yeah, feels like when i think about those shows or like I'm standing in this room right now and I have a drop dead poster from when I saw him in 2016. And I'm like looking at it. And I'm like, I read 2016. I'm like, it can't be that fucking long ago. It feels yeah. like I just saw that show. But then yeah. I think about it. I'm like, dude, it's been quite a while. And those paid yeah. shows, like they shouldn't feel like as they feel those paid shows feel like they happened longer ago than that drop dead show for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, you know, and I don't know what it is, but I know what you mean, like how we kind of like recollect uh, time, you know, with events and stuff and how yeah. some events might be further away, but feel closer or they might have been closer, but feels much further away. I think it has to do with the COVID, the, the, the pandemic and the shutdown. Yeah. It just made that 2020 such or even longer, like a year and a half. It just felt like two years. <laughs> yeah no a lot of people are saying that and it, and it feels long i mean it's interesting to me because i worked the whole time you know i'm fortunate to have worked the whole time part of me wishes that i would have just like you know i'm in the restaurant industry i'm a sous chef so yeah. like i i was i'm salaried employee so i was there the whole time but uh you know we were closed for like three and a half four months and you know i was just there every day just me and like two other people Holy so in shit. a way I mean, those days were long. It was kind of nice in a way, but those days just felt long because it's not busy. No. You know, it wasn't busy for a while. And then you open back up and we've been back open for like a year to the public. And I'm like that, you know, I'm like, it it has toyed with me. I'll tell you this much. I'm ready to get out and play shows 100%. Yeah, dude. You want a break from fucking (laughs) fucking chefing, man. (laughs) That's like, just like a drone. I totally hear you. Well, you're here today because... I asked you to pick, well, 10 songs initially, but now we went down to 12 because it just seemed to work better. But 12 songs that are extremely important to you. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start. We I broke it up into sets of three songs. So we're going to start the first set off. Um, and it's going to be the first song is going to be Born Against with the song Organ of Hope. Now, do you want to mention something about it now or do you want to wait till we come back? Totally up to you. I leave this up to everybody when they do this. You can talk about it now. Um, I, I would say, you know, whatever you, however you like to roll with it, because I'm a nerd and can talk about this shit all the time. I think that when we hung out before, I remember us nerding about music. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I know this is that's the thing is I was like, it can go it could go a long time. So anyway, let's get into the tunes and we'll come back and we'll talk some more. So here it is. Born Against, Organ of Hope from their great album nine patriotic hymns for children right here on gimme danger radio
That was Sebado with the song Dreams from their 1994 LP Bake Sale. Uh, you're listening to the Gimme Danger Radio Show, and my guest today is Mike Taylor of the band's Page 99, Terminal Bliss, Pygmy Lush. 
there's probably a ton more that I can't remember off the top of my head. You're like, an, you did so many bands. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. But anyway, Sebado, Dreams. Out of all the songs that the band put out, because they have a pretty massive catalog. Yeah. And why this record and why this song? Um, well, for me, Seb, I mean, I'm a fan of all things Sebado for sure. And Lou Barlow and Jason Lowenstein. Uh, but I got into Sebado through Bake Sale. It was the first album I'd ever heard by them. Um, like a lot of people my age, uh, Nirvana was a gateway like drug to a lot of like deeper music. Oh, yeah. Um, stuff like Jesus Lizard and uh, Sebado, stuff like that. So, I mean, I had heard or read something about Sebado, maybe through a Kurt Cobain interview or maybe he had the classic uh, Bake Sale shirt which I actually still own from like 95, actually. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, Bake Sale, I remember buying it when it came out. And the band, my first band at the time, we were all hanging out. I remember um, we were just soaking that record in. I remember the day that I was sharing it with like the Kane brothers who, you know, Eric and Jeff Kane both. Jeff Kane played in the City of Caterpillar. Eric yep. still plays in... Uh, uh strike anywhere but um we did a you know our high school band uh we played a couple years together and i just remember us all in my brother's room upstairs jamming that record all of us vibing on it and really digging it <laughs> and uh there's a lot of songs from that particular record that i really really like in fact um what is it careful the second track i really love so i feel like i've sort of played that out a lot but Dreams is like such a beautiful kind of heavy. I read an article or maybe a quote that said something about it being actually really heavy. And I'm like, and I kind of, maybe it was in the liner notes of the deluxe, but I was like, mm -hmm. you know, this is like, it is a heavy indie record because the tones are really deep. They're crunchy. They're warm. Yeah. And I just love that. The way that song comes in is like, dun, 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 dun. you know, see, I love, I love bake sale. Bake sale is probably, it's between Harmacy and Bake Sale for me. Absolutely. I Those agree. Those two are great because Harmacy has got I'm are on fire on it, which is oh, like, yeah. dude, that song's that guitar line's so good. But this song, Dreams, you're right, dude. It's something about the whole record of Bake Sale is just because initially when I first heard Sebado, I was like, I don't know. They don't seem like a heavy band. And then someone's like, you should check out Bake Sale because it's a little bit heavier. And I was like, I don't know. Sebado heavy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and I put it on and it was like, yeah, this is a bit it's a darker feeling record. It's dark. It's, it's dark. It's, it's got all the darker tones. It's like, you, it just, it's one of those things where you didn't, I didn't hear guitar like that. It's thin, but because it's so clear, like it hits pretty hard. Like yeah. the songs are really clean and fragile, but somehow so tough. It's and he's such tough. a great, both those dudes, uh, Jason Lowenstein and Lou Barlow are just such great songwriters too. It's just, Super impressive to me. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Jason Lowenstein, I saw years ago in um, Brooklyn. It was after a Haram, maybe Haram had played a show in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And then there was a later show. I can't remember the name of the club. But Jason Lowenstein was playing. And I made it just in the nick of time to see him do his solo set. And that was just after his first solo record. And he had a band with him. I believe he may have had the drummer from Sebado who now currently plays as his drummer, mm -hmm. but that was, he was incredible. It was like, 
he was playing songs I hadn't heard and he was playing all that stuff off that album and yeah. it was heavy and really energetic. There was like maybe like 50, 70 people in the crowd and it, it, it hit really <laughs> hard. I was like this, and this is years after grunge and yeah. you know, the, the years where you would soak all of us would soak up Nirvana and Sonic youth and stuff like that. And this yeah. was like, wow, this is like such pure sounding rock music and it was really good i mean so that that band is in like you know completely talented from front to back oh yeah for sure and then before sebado we had my bloody valentine with the song when you wake you're still dreaming i think that's what it's called right yeah okay and that's from isn't anything uh which to me is better than loveless yes <laughs> yes i i've always Another... thought that I know. I'm glad that you feel the same way. I just feel like Lo- Loveless. I'm not shitting on. It's a good record, but I just feel like it's more blown up just based on the um, the stories and uh, the yeah. uh, circumstance surrounding it mm-hmm. than the actual songs in the record. Because to me, isn't anything like it's got my favorite My Bloody Valentine song in it, which is "Lose My Breath," which is yeah, it's a beautiful song. Fucking incredible. The whole record. Yeah, it's hard great. to pick a song off that album. I mean, and I agree with you, John. Like uh isn't anything is probably it's in my top five favorite records of all time it has been since i got into it 96 97 this summer Mm. 97 i developed like a relationship with that record i know it yeah and i've been obsessed with that album ever since and i can't put it on without just being blown away by it every single time it's to me it's like it is still it's a punk record but oh yeah it's through a different filter and like the songwriting's really good. I, I feel like Loveless, I love Loveless as well, but isn't anything is kind of more like maybe the it's the high watermark before they and I don't want to say this in a rude way, but they sort of disappeared up their own butts in a way. Oh, 100%. Sort of, and and like, you know, they did great stuff with Loveless, but you know, I think they were going off on some other vibe and i appreciate that as an artist like them trying to figure out where where they were trying to take it mm-hmm. but isn't anything is probably the most pure songwriting like it just seems like comes out like they have the pretty songs and then the the tough Heavy, songs yeah. it's yeah. it's raw it's pretty it's perfect well even the singles, the singles before uh um isn't anything are fucking great yeah just like they were such they were like when they came out it's funny because when people, I want to say people who are younger than us generally like know my bloody Valentine from Loveless. Mm-hmm. So then when you're like, hey, have you heard like, I think the the song is like Strawberry Wine or something like that, mm-hmm. or like any early shit, they're like, this sounds terrible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the best shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, Loveless it's, is still it, rad, but this is great. <laughs> it's funny. It didn't dawn on me because I, I, at one point I was listening to Loveless. Yeah, I used to cook at a preschool, and I, it, I, would, <laughs> I was the I was the only person in the in the the kitchen. It was just me, and I had a little boombox I would play. And one day, I remember I was playing Loveless, and I stepped outside, and I was delivering the food, and I was coming back in. I couldn't remember what I was jamming, but it sounds so tinny and trebly. I'm like, man, to the untrained ear, this sounds like trash. Like, you know, everybody's everybody in every article I've ever read talks about what that record sonically did to. And I'm just like, you know what? 90 percent of the people think that album, if they heard it for the first time, was like, 
a trebled piece of trash. Yeah. And it's just kind of funny because the band is really on the trebly end and kind of chimey, you know, especially in the birds era, strawberry wine. Oh yeah. And like, you know, I mean, I, I mean, they're always pushing the envelope for me. I even like it in the new stuff. I'm excited to hear what they're going to do with, you know, now they're signed on to Domino. I'm excited to see, you know, yeah. apparently they're about to put out a double LP in time or something like that. I'll, I'll believe that when I see yeah, it. I just I feel like Kevin Shields <laughs> is like, he's started to believe a little bit too much of his own myth. Yeah. And that's kind of a bummer. I mean, he, he's, he's a good songwriter and everything. And, but like when he made Loveless, that's when I feel like you were saying they just he just went too far up his own butt a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's still good. It's just yeah. like if this were any other band. Yeah. But like. Isn't anything, you know, to, to cycle back to that particular record, like that is a high watermark album for me, period, like 43 and not many records compete with that record still to this day for me. Like, yeah, I think great. it's incredible song for song track one all the way to the end i can listen to the whole thing yeah it's great and then before my bloody valentine we had the mighty born against with the song organ of hope from their great lp nine patriotic hymns for children i'm sure just through social medias and all that stuff me and you have nerded out about how incredible this band is and it's funny because the song that you chose is actually right before my favorite born against song <laughs> what's your favorite well-fed fuck oh yeah, yeah. It's, um... just because the lyrics are it looks like you know knowing sam mcfeeder's humor and mm-hmm. then reading the lyrics to that song about are you a good employee your boss yeah. is your best friend like it's but the music to it is just so brutal oh yeah so it's good fucking fun it's like almost like a punk rock weird al song to me because it's yeah. just so funny to me yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny with that particular song. I think, you know, I think of Adam his package back in the 90s. He saw mm-hmm. the humor and how funny that song was and did like a, essentially a Weird Al version of it. And, yeah. And I mean, yeah, that song's genius. I mean, the band's genius. I mean, I think like musically, lyrically, the band is an upper echelon punk. Um, it's it's my favorite punk band of all time and one of my favorite bands of all time, for sure. I, mean, I, would... I know you know that agree 100 percent agree with you and it's did you ever see them did you have a chance to see them at all no did you no no they broke up before i was allowed to go to punk rock shows yeah i want <laughs> it's one year before i started going to shows kind of religiously and yeah yeah it's one of my big you know brandon who you know plays in page 99 say caterpillar he he saw them um and a few other my friends you know who from richmond saw them like just a couple years before i you know they're a year or two older yeah and they they've seen them so that's one of my biggest like uh, but i've had the fortunate pleasure of meeting some of the guys over the years and then seeing and or playing with some of the bands like ages ago i was doing a noise project that played with regular brutes on a halloween and that was cool that's cool yeah and i saw men's recovery project a couple times uh, actually maybe just once mm-hmm. and they were fantastic so i've seen you know bringer blues a, a couple times and i've seen some of the other guys playing other stuff but like yeah it's never got to see them but they're the most i mean as you know i mean i'm i'm a nerd yeah. about it. i talk about it all the time they're the most influential band on my playing how did you come to hear about them because my way of hearing about them was like i bought 
the screeching weasel split. That's awesome. And I was uh, like, how the fuck? I was like, yeah, what the fuck? And then I was like reading the lyrics to the screeching weasel song, El Mazote, which by the way, is the best screeching weasel song. And it's <laughs> yeah. the lyrics are by Sam McFeeters and the music yeah. by weasel. And then I listened to like the born against side and I'm like, cause I was like, when I got into punk, I was like into the kind of poppier end of things until yeah. that split. And then that split, like, I found out about Born Against and I was like, well, where does this go? And then I found out about Gravity Records and that like led me down further. And I was like, okay, this is way cooler. (laughs) Well, you know what? I do have kind of an interesting story that ties kind of your interest into it a little bit. So back when we, you know, our high school band was playing, Eric played in this pop punk band you may or may not know called The Abducted, who were on VML. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah um just total queers worship like style pop punk i mean really good pop punk in fact i will after we conduct this thing i'm going to send that record to you because it's not on spotify but it's amazing um but it's it's very ramones queers worship pop punk um and the bass player that time this is what's funny he gave me a tape on one side it was born against and rorschach on the flip side was isn't anything by my bloody valentine which That's... is why I chose to do like Born Against My Bloody Valentine. So this guy, Todd Imus, he still plays music today. He lives in Reno, Nevada now. Um, but he he gave me this tape. I, I'll never forget it. And I wore that shit out in high school. And I was blown away by Born Against, both Born Against and Rorschach, but Born Against in particular. And then I was like, you know, My Bloody Valentine on the other side. And that was my first introduction. And then I went and found everything I could for, from born against yeah everything and then that leads you that whole thing just leads you down like well they put a re- like i that's kind of what i miss about i know we're sounding like old fucking farts here but i kind of okay. miss that <laughs> about buying or getting into a band back then it's like you buy a record by them beca- and then you look okay it's out on gravity and you're like well i don't know what gravity does so yeah. i'll just take a shot in the dark and i'll order this antioch arrow 12 inch yeah. And then you hear Antioch Air and you're like, what did I just listen to? Yeah. <laughs> and then that leads you to everything else. But like the the fact that that guy gave you a tape that had Rorschach, Born Against, and My Bloody Valentine on one tape yeah. explains a lot about where you went musically. It yeah. literally explains yeah. it all. <laughs> and we, we all, you know, we all thought Todd was super cool. It was just like, I mean, these guys were, I mean, it was funny that Eric played with them because we sort of, quietly idolized them they look they were older than us mm-hmm. and they all had the ramones jacket you know the leather jackets oh, yeah. they look fucking cool they look the part <laughs> i mean and we were into you know and all of us were into like yeah screeching weasel the queers vindictives all that stuff back in the day and like yeah. um so we were like really excited that you know eric was in this like straight up punk as fuck pop punk band you know it was at a time when green day was huge and they you know Massive. so it was like they weren't doing Green Day. They were doing like early lookout records style, like pop punk. And it was yeah. good. That's awesome. I mean, did you ever see the Ramones at all? No, it's another one of my. Damn. <laughs> I, I actually was lucky enough. Like that's like that. I think that might've been my second or third show was seeing the Ramones and Degeneration. Do you remember that band? Oh yeah. yeah. They yeah, opened definitely. the show and they that's looked great. like Motley Crue. And I remember me and my friend being like, what the fuck is Motley Crue opening up this show for? 
<laughs> That's awesome. It turns out it was degeneration. Anyway, uh, let's get into the next three set of songs. Uh, we're going to kick it off with the Jesus Lizard and the song Seven Verses Eight from their 1990 LP Head, right here on Gimme Danger Radio.
lit a thin green candle to make you jealous of me. But the room just filled up with mosquitoes. They heard that my body was free. Then I took the dust of a long sleepless night and I put it in your little shoe. And then I confessed that I tortured the dress that you wore for the world to look through. I showed my heart to the doctor. He said I'd just have to quit. Then he wrote himself a prescription, and your name was mentioned in it. Then he locked himself in a library shelf with the details of our. Honeymoon, and I hear from the nurse that he's gotten much worse, and his practice is all in a ruin. I heard of a saint who had loved you, so I studied all night in his school. Thought that the duty of lovers is to tarnish the golden rule, and just when I was sure that his teachings were pure, he drowned himself in the pool. His body is gone, but back here on the lawn, his spirit continues to drool. An Eskimo showed me a movie he'd recently taken of you. The poor man could hardly stop shivering. His lips and his fingers were blue. I suppose that he froze when the wind took your clothes, and I guess he just never got warm. But you stand there so nice in your blizzard of ice. Oh, please let me come into the storm.
That was Leonard Cohen with the song One of Us Cannot Be Wrong from his 1967 LP Songs of Leonard Cohen. And you are listening to Gimme Danger Radio with my guest, Mike Taylor. Mike, Leonard Cohen, this song, One of Us Cannot Be Wrong. Why this song? Why this record? Because, you know, massive catalog. Dude's got a huge catalog. It was this your introduction into him? Uh. Yeah, I mean, I think my actual introduction to Leonard Cohen was just um, his best of, uh, or like Essentials, his classic 12 song or whatever, best of. And this song actually wasn't on it, but he had an Essentials collection, which I I bought it all up kind of really early at this, you know, at an early stage. I loved him right off the bat and just bought everything as fast as I could, but... Mm -hmm. One of Us Cannot Be Wrong has always been one of my, I just think it's such a pretty melancholy song. Um, that whole first album and then just his first five albums all have that, I don't know, just it's calmness. Like a, it's like a calmness, but it's also like this, it's this strange innocence, but not innocent. Do you know what I'm saying? If that yeah, makes I mean, any kind of sense? He His words kind of cut, you know, for for being like a punker at the time. Like, you know, I got into him when I was like, blasting born against and stuff so yeah. like you know i definitely had this this stuff where i liked sebado and the cure and other things but at that time around 17 18 i was developing these this taste for like you know leonard Cohen was the first like really pretty quiet folky stuff that i really liked and um it was i guess it's just his words i mean you know the classic we are ugly but we have the music and mm-hmm. just a lot of this like self-deprecating stuff that I kind of relate to punk a lot and just really kind of search and destroy type attitude. I think he kind of had this, I think, cause he was a poet first. Yeah. So he had a lot of really cutting words that I think like when I started listening to some of his music, I was like, you know, this is pretty folk music, which, you know, when you're a punk, when you're a young punk, you think it's wimpy or something, but like, you know, he says some hard, t- <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. He says some pretty stuff, real, he puts some real stuff to paper. And I think it connected with me, especially at a young age, just kind of, you know, um, seeing the beauty and everything. And, and at the same time, this honesty of, and self-deprecating, you know, I was in high school, you know, you're just always thinking like, you want to be emotional, you're you're (laughs) emotional. You want to be more of something. You want to prove yourself. Yeah, And there was a lot of that in Leonard Cohen's music. And I don't know why this song, maybe is just one of the most perfect folk songs. Like the lyrics on this particular song aren't like as good as some of the other songs that I like even more, but th- this song and the, the melodies and the, the whole piece itself is just like a perfectly written song. I think what sells this song for me is the very end where he's whistling, but then also yeah. in the background, he's kind of like drunkenly yelling yeah. the melody. Yeah. yeah. That like that, sells the song to me. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, again, maybe as, as a young punker, it hit, it hit me because he's out of key and he's like, Oh shit, yeah. he's melting it and he doesn't care. And, you know, shit, this song was done in what, 69 or something like that. 67. Maybe. 67. So, I mean, like, you know, think about that. It's like we're just really raw, just kind of yelling and the whistling and stuff. I just, again, it's like music like that, if it sounds raw and real, and then you have Leonard Cohen's like vision, his words and his lyrics to it. I mean, he's, I, I, I did have the pleasure of seeing him once. Oh, and, that's awesome. And it was one, I would put that and, 
the upper tier of best shows I've ever seen. It was like, it was the clearest, most deep. I mean, you know, where you hear his like gravelly or his deep yeah. vocals. It really like felt, I felt it in my body. I remember it was at a gigantic place with thousands of people. That's and it was, I mean, and I was moved the whole time. It was beautiful. It sounded, it sounded great. I paid the extra money and sat in the <laughs> amphitheater, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I usually paid like $300. So I went with a girlfriend at the time and I was like, I, I'm paying money to make sure I get the seats I want. Oh, and, I think it's worth it for that. And I'm glad, and I'm glad because, you know, uh, I saw him once and it's finally, I can check a, one of my favorite artists off that I've seen, you know, that's and it was, it was worth, worth every last cent. That's for sure. And then before Leonard Cohen, speaking of raw and to the point, we had dazzling Kilman with the song blown, uh, face down from the LP face of collapse that came out in 1994. As I said to you off air, I think I might've said off air, uh, that, I came to this band late and I don't know why. <laughs> Cause when I, when I heard it, like you said to me off air, you're like, you're from the Midwest, man. This is the band was literally tailored to you. <laughs> yeah. Smack in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And this record is just, it's, it's so, it's just, it's just brutal. It's unrelenting. It's like, it's more brutal than most death metal records. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, it's really brutal. Um, that, that, the dazzling Kilman record, I came across it funny. So, um, I was buying a, a chunk of records at my local record store at the time. And there was a free box of tapes to the next and, or to the right of me. And I remember looking down and seeing this black cassette tape with white writing, like cursive, real dramatic writing. Yeah. And I kind of looked up and I was like, dazzling Kilman. I was like, I know that name. And that's a fucking cool name. That's a yeah. name. <laughs> And it was like scary sounding. I was like, I think I saw them on a flyer for the Jesus Lizard or something. As it as it were, it, it's true because they played several times with the Jesus Lizard. Mm -hmm. And um, I just picked it was I just picked it up, took it home. It ended up being what it was, and I was floored and obsessed with that band ever since. And more than any, maybe more than any other band, you could probably hear Dazzling Kilman influence on like doc page 99's document five like pretty derivative <laughs> i mean there's a lot of i mean they're they're i'm using chords left and right and uh yeah yeah i mean that that album is heavy it's like every song is un unto its own it's definitely on that whole envant guard free jazz prog oh, yeah. i mean but it's one of the heaviest things i've ever heard and super and really scary yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say it's like this really like dark's not even a, a, a scary enough word to use it's just got this like it's brooding it's fucking angry and it's scary and the yeah. like did they record i think they the sound of the recording sounds like steve albini or yeah, bob steve, it's steve albini and like i couldn't imagine another person recording that band no, yeah, it was, a, and yeah, the recording's really good. I mean, because you could hear that this band is just playing live together. It felt like, and uh, you know, it is a really evil record. I mean, just the the artwork too is just yeah, the artwork's beautiful. <laughs> I, I have sat and looked at that stuff too. I mean, I know Corey from '99 has like uh, he has the little. Um, I guess it's on the actual CD where it has the 
I guess it looks like an X or something like a yeah, yeah. cross. He, he got that tattooed. I actually came across funny, quick, funny little anecdote. I, a couple years, just a couple Christmases ago, my brother recovered somehow from a friend who has his own vintage, like he collects vintage clothing and he resells it. Yeah. My brother caught that he was selling my dazzling Kilman shirt that was stolen in New York city on a page 99 door. How the and fuck? He, and he got it back for, me for <laughs> Christmas. So my dazzling Kilman C or my dazzling Kilman shirt that I got, it's a, it's an OG shirt. It's like, and my favorite color was purple. So there's purple all over it and it's got <laughs> the beautiful artwork on it. It's all torn up still. It oh, came shit. back, it came back to me and like, like shit. When did I get that? I got that like maybe, three or four years ago. So we're talking, and I lost that in 2001. We're talking like 15 or more years ago. Holy somehow, shit. Somehow like it came back and Chris was like, that's my brother's shirt. I remember that tear and that. And, and our friend, he was just like, I mean, if you say it is, I mean, this shirt, this shirt's worth a lot of money, even kind of torn up. And he's just like, I'll pay whatever he bought it. And he's like, I'll, I'll let it go. And Give it cheap. If this is Mike's shirt, he should have it. So I got that shirt back. Holy shit. <laughs> Talk about fucking luck. Yeah. Or just I know. random I shit. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, wow. and I look and in the years to come, I actually developed a a, uh, a relationship of, you know, with Nick Sakes over the years. And I just was gave him my adoration. I was like, I love your fucking band. Yeah, you know, I just reached <laughs> out. I, another one of the things about punk that's great is that you can reach out to somebody if you dare and uh, chances oh, yeah. are they're going to be responsive. I was like, you, you have to know that this, my, my band that's playing now, this was when page nine, I was still a band. It's like, you know, we have a direct influence because of Aslan Kilman. He heard it. He's like, sounds great. And then we ended up playing with sick Bay. Oh, that's in Minnesota. Awesome. In Minnesota in a basement. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. And that's when I, you know, I, I met him and then we stayed in touch and I, talk to him every once in a blue moon like through the internet or something but oh wow totally fucking cool guys cool scene like he still writes really fucking cool music and those members are all incredibly talented and that record is just a high water mark and bizarre heavy scary evil music talk about the random find though like you just that's what the one thing that's great about that time period of like going to record stores is like you know whether it's you find something like that in a box next yeah. to a bunch of shit that's free or you're buying like i remember buying i can't i think i might have been buying um i was buying like um fuck what's that uh, it was screeching weasels bark like a dog because it just come out and i was like well i like this band so i'm gonna buy their new record and i brought it up to the counter and i remember at the record store there was like the typical cute indie rock girl working behind the counter and yeah. she goes have you ever listened to Crimp Shrine? And I was <laughs> like, no. And she's like, buy this instead. And it like changed everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, awesome. it's just those That's weird classic. things about going to record stores back then. And like, I, you know, what was it? I, I was listening to some interview with um, James Mur Murphy from LCD Sound System. And he was going to make a shirt that said, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Asshole record store employee changed my life. Cause he's like, it's true. Like I would go into like the Princeton he lived in Princeton, New Jersey. And he was like, I'd go into the Princeton record exchange. Oh yeah. Like, um, he's like, be, he'd be like, I'm, I'm, I would be really nervous. And I'd go up to the counter and be like, 
um, do you have the new Suji and the Banshees record? And they'd be like, oh, like get pissed at him and like fucking kid wants Suzy and the Banshees. Fucking God. And like, get pissed. <laughs> and like It was like they changed my life. They made me feel like shit. But at the same time, they like turned me on to all this cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so that is absolutely true. My my friend Kevin, who owns the record store now, he will tell you the same stories of when he went to um smash in dc Mm -hmm. and he always we they always went and dealt with someone they called the record nazi (laughs) he would not sell them anything that they brought instead they would bring like i don't know what kevin was bringing to the table but they're like you don't want that and then just like rip off record stuff like supercharger mummies and like (laughs) and that and kevin got in the garage and then back from the grave and then all the like all the deep cut garage stuff. And then, you know, there was that boom of the nineties garage oh, yeah. revival and stuff like, so he kind of sunk his teeth really hard into that. And that's his bread and butter. Even still to this day, he loves that music and has delved so much deeper. Cause once that's just the gateway into psychedelic rock and oh yeah, folk psych and just about anything you can think of. And like, you know, he, you know, he has the record Nazi who would refuse to sell him whatever he was trying to buy. He's like, I'm not buying it. here. Let me get somebody else to check you out. I'm not. And I just remember like, dude, I remember leaving the record stores and just being like, fucking hate that guy. But then you get in your car and you play what you bought and you'd be like, God, he's right though. <laughs> yeah. You're I right. mean, you know, yeah. I mean that, you know, talking about music like what we are now, I mean, you know, and I've had the pleasure. I have had the pleasure. I helped Kevin, with his record shop right in the beginning, I worked shifts and stuff and, and chatting on my shifts, being able to talk to somebody about music. If they bring something like slow, like close enough to something you like. Yeah. I can't, I'm a nerd. I can't help but talking about that album. And then something that reminds me of it. And, Oh, oh yeah. you're buying one of my favorite albums. And then I just go off. <laughs> then you go on this fucking thing. Speaking yeah. of buying or listening to one of my favorite things in the world, before Dazzling Kilman, we had Jesus Lizard with the song Seven Versus Eight off their LP Head, which came out in 1990. Head was an album that I got into way after, obviously after the fact it came out, because by the time it came out, I was in like the fourth grade. But yeah. um, the first record I got into by the Jesus Lizard was, um, I want to say it was Down, because a kid yeah, I went to high school with, was Down was the one that you got into? Yeah, yeah. Kid I went to high school with, he had a cooler older sister that took him to uh Lollapalooza. yep and that he was like he came back to school like that fall you know after going to Lollapalooza in the summer and he's like my sister took me to Lollapalooza and he's like i saw this band that had a mini miniature guy that was like jumping in the crowd and i was like what is this band and he's like they're called the jesus lizard and so i looked it up and i was like i don't know if i like this but i kind of can't stop listening to it yeah <laughs> no i mean uh yeah actually funny enough like um one of my best music, like music days in life, period, is Lollapalooza that year. Jesus has played. I had just gotten into him, and again, that was through Nirvana. I'd like gotten the Nirvana Jesus Lizard split, and I like, I was like, I don't know if I like this song. But then I, when Down came out, actually, funny enough, I do have a. Well, no, it's not Down. Down, but I did. Down was my first album, so I did dig that, and I was like. When that came out, I was drawn to the cover. It was so weird with the dog and everything. Yeah. And I thought it was a cool cover. And I bought that. And I really liked the music. And then from there, I got into them quickly. Enough to go to the Jesus Lizard or to the Lollapalooza show. The show they played in West Virginia that year was the only show that they played 
two sets. What? There was a band that canceled in the side stage and they filled the void. So after I saw him play third on the main stage, I went and saw him play like later that afternoon while Cypress Hill was playing. Yeah. I went to saw the Jesus Lizard for a second time. And they played like one of the best, like most obscure sets because it was their second set. And I I got the pleasure of saying that I saw the Jesus Lizard twice in one day. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Talk about yeah. what what a band that would like how many other bands would be like there like someone would be like promoter would be like, Oh, we had a band drop off. We need someone to play a um second stage. Not a lot of bands would do that. Not at all. I mean, I think it's just because the they were so every other band at the time was dealing with hits like mighty, mighty boss tones and oh, yeah, yeah. elastica and Cypress. There wasn't a small band on the bill minus the Jesus lizard. So I think they were just like, we'll play. They just <laughs> needed to, you know, they needed to fill the slot. I mean, yeah. and I'll never forget that. And I've since, since seen the Jesus lizard maybe eight or nine times. I've seen them on almost all the reunions there was a slate of shows they played in. They played in 2009 or 2010. And I saw them in Detroit. That was their first. Yeah, I saw them then. And then I saw them, what was it, a couple of years ago, they played here in Portland. A few. Yeah, years and they ago. played in, at the 930 Club in D.C. I guess it was 2016, 2017, maybe? 2017? 2018, I don't know. Yeah, Time yeah, is I mean, so ridiculous now. Yeah, and I and then they played again, like short, and I wanted to see him, but I couldn't. But I did. I've seen him a lot, and so yeah. Why this? Why this song? Why seven versus eight off ahead? Why this? Well, there's so many great songs. It's so hard. I could pick like any song off a of goat. Like or, I love yeah. Nub and Monkey Trick and or Liar. And, anything off yeah. Liar. <laughs> and then comes Dudley. Uh, this song. Um, I love how heavy this this particular song is. My favorite song off ahead. Of and that record sounds so mean to me. I love the way the guitars and the drums sound together and the bass. Yeah. Like, and this particular song is slow enough that you can hear the tones. Like, and really, like the the way the drums start with how you can feel how good those drums sound. Like, boom. oh, dude, yeah. And maybe seeing them, like after seeing them, they were closing with that song when I on their reunions and stuff, and that. And yeah. Mac was doing like an extended drum solo, drum solo while yeah. doing noises. And I'm like, you know, and then I was thinking, well, I'm talking to John, who's an amazing drummer. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to pick yeah. like a standout drum song. And like, to me, like there's some, I mean, everything Mac plays is amazing. And He's, I actually saw them without him. Like when they had the, Oh yeah. They had the other guy in the, the James, late 90s. James yeah. Kimball. Is mm-hmm. that his name? Jimmy Kimball. Some, Kimball. I think that's it. He was in the Denison Kimball trio. Mm-hmm. Great drummer too. No slat, no slouch whatsoever. But it just wasn't the same. Dude, it, that's a that's the thing. Is like that is that is a hard chair to fill. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and I'd read an interview where they were talking about would the Jesus Lizard ever do a reunion again before they ever did one. And I remember reading it was a David Yao quote saying he would. With with no disrespect, he would never play a show without Mac. With Mac, yeah, because there's something about like there's something about the way that him, Sims, and uh, what's the guitar player's name? Dwayne. What is it? Dennison. Dennison. Yeah, there's something about the way the three of those dudes just like they just connect. You know, I mean, it's like with any. 
Yeah, it's like with any great band. Like, okay, you I don't know if you like them, but like, you know, John Bonham dies from Led Zeppelin. Of course, mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin's not going to be a band anymore. Like, yeah. who the fuck? That's the stupidest yeah, shit in the world. That's fucking big dumb. To fill. Yeah, so it's yeah. like them trying. I get why the Jesus Lizard did it because they had signed to a major. They had to do some shit. They tried it. It didn't work. Called it a day. Yeah. But no, like, I mean, uh, it's a, yeah, I mean, uh, he was a, a fantastic drummer. The, every single, every person in that band was exceptional. And when they came together, they did something that still to this day, no other band duplicates. There's other bands that have the Jesus Lizard vibe, which oh, I'm glad that's actually leaked its way into the music ether because (laughs) the world needs more jesus lizard influence if you ask me but Mm -hmm. like nothing sounds like it you know even like Dwayne dennison playing in tomahawk and you hear one of his riffs like jesus lizard yeah this band can be all they want to be but that sounds like Dwayne dennison's guitar 100 percent. and then like you know i mean and i was a huge fan of like you know scratch acid i actually came up to chicago and saw that first scratch acid reunion Oh, the touching um, for 25? Yeah, I was there I, just for scratch acid. And like, <laughs> I was just, at, well, in Three Mile Pilot, I was I was blown seam, away. Seam, seam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's just those guys are such exceptional, oh, deep yeah. artists. And that, I mean, that particular song for me, like, you know, it's it's slow. It's a slow burner. I love the way that it you can hear the tones kind of like bubble and pop, like while they're, I mean, it just sounds like lava slowly falling. Yeah. Down. Yeah. You know, it's just a really cool song. All right. Now we're on to the next three songs. We're going to kick off the next three, three song set with Nirvana's Oh, the guilt, which is actually from their 1993 split with the band that we just spent a lot of time talking about the Jesus lizard. And here it is, right here on Gimme Danger Radio.
That was Team Dretch with the song The Council from the LP Captain My Captain, which came out in 1996. And at this moment, I'd like to tell you that you're listening to Gimme Danger Radio with my guest Mike Taylor, the band's Page 99, Terminal Bliss, Haram, Pygmy Lush. There's probably more, but Mike's done a lot of things. He's a good dude. And he picked a great song by a great band. So tell me more about why you picked The Council from this specific team direct record um well i mean i think uh, for me personally i think i was telling you a little bit earlier i had the utmost pleasure of playing and me and my brother like joined to zark for a, a short tour with uh team dress at in 2019 yeah that's right in the fall and um it was i was a little starstruck to like you know <laughs> be joining these like people these these people that i've been listening to their music for so i come across team dress basically because of born against because melissa york played in born against for yep. a little while the drummer um yep. and she you know team dress has, has had two drummers and at the time when we just toured with we had toured with them melissa york was playing drums so you know, of course, she heard it from me, and I nerded on her. I was gonna say, did you punish her about being? Oh, I punished her. <laughs> a couple days happened. It was like the second to last day, and when she found out just how much of a nerd I was, and how much I'd followed their careers from like Vita Pup to, um, just e everything that you know, Hazel. I just I was oh yeah, dude. Everything those those gals did, and like, um, Team Dress. So you know, I. I'd been, I looked for the record forever because I had seen that Melissa York had played and done artwork for Born Against. And I was like, just, it was something I didn't find till a couple years after playing in page 99. Then when I found it, I was like, how have I not, you know, I was into more like Archers of Loaf and Super Chunk and, and Sebado and all these up pavement, all these other indie rock bands. But I was like, this is like some of the best indie rock I've ever heard. Oh yeah. And I then, mean, was this... It, were they on Chainsaw or Candy yeah. Ass? Chainsaw. Ca Chainsaw and Candy Ass. And I okay. think, well, I don't remember which one. One of them is Donna Dresch's label. I think it might be Chainsaw. I think that sounds right to me. Yeah, As a I, record I, nerd, I think that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she did a handful of releases for Team Dresch and then a couple other bands. But um, Slater Kenny was one of them. Oh, yeah. It just became enormous. But I mean, that sound and it was just great. I mean, the songwriting is fantastic. It's melodic. It was kind of aggressive. But then, you know, for me also, too, being kind of underexposed and living in the burbs, finding out they're all queer women was mm -hmm. also pretty like pretty hardcore for me. Like with it was impressionable with them and like uh, the McKiltio Fairies and Behead the Prophet. I was like you know, all these like bands that with this queer core movement that was happening at the time, like, you know, for a guy growing up and kind of redneck and hearing just racist jokes and gay jokes all, yeah. you know, being privy to it all the time and not feeling good about it, you know, and especially at coming into my own as a punker and then being like, no, these guys are freak weirder nerds, you know, just like us. And those, those McKiltio records first so really hit me hard. And then like, you know, that really opened up to me and then finding out really that team dress, which I wasn't sure of because I just hadn't found them yet. Yeah. I didn't realize that they were all queer women. I figured it, I assumed it was involved with it because I saw like the, the connections, mm -hmm. 
but um but you're right i mean the same thing and you mentioned the pansy of it i was i was me chris eric but the came me and chris the Kane brothers were at the green day dookie tour 94 oh yeah dude same here <laughs> with pansy division opening pansy division were fucking great oh yeah and uh we were at that we were at that show and um and yeah you're right i mean i loved i loved that they brought them on tour and you know and so you know a lot of people kind of like got to digest that kind of stuff for the first time and for me like the council and a couple of their songs actually are really just really emotion they speak to me a lot because they're just really well-written lyrics about people just wanting to love and be themselves yeah after meeting those women i I got i mean it's one of those rare occurrences in life where like you meet this bit a band of people you kind of like you know looked up to when you were young and i was intimidated and i was like are these guys mean because they were like you know they're these older women and their ways they got their shit down and yeah I was just a little intimidated by them and it took a couple of days of warming up, but then we opened up and we're drinking with them and like talking old stories with them. And, you know, they're beautiful fucking people. They're like all unique individuals unto themselves. And like, they're the real deal. Like as far as like playing it, like they mean it and the crowd playing with like, for me as a, a straight white male playing to, the, the kind of crowds that were coming out to uh, these team dress, the Zark shows were, it, it moved me. It, it, and you know, I was just like, I'm so gracious to be here and playing with you all. Like, and it, you know, I'm in a band that's accepted with open arms and, yeah, you know, queer folks out there, they're just, you know, they support that the support, it's just a family. It's a family. And I've never seen like, even with the beautiful community of punk rock, like, the being part of the queer movement with rock even just a couple years ago was just like an absolute honor and privilege to kind of see it and see how much like support and love there is it's also just got to be like really refreshing because you know growing up liking the music that came from the queer core movement and then you going to play a show with death's arc and, and with Team Dretch and you're like immersed in it, it's just got to be a very humbling thing to go like, you know, that's right. Like, it's not like it's nice to know that punk rock isn't just me. You know what I mean? Like as a yeah. straight like it's just not me because like me and you have gone to punk rock shows forever and 90 percent of the time it's straight white dudes. Yeah, it really that's is. just what it is. So you doing that must have been like you playing on stage with you and your brother just like going like this it 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 it, if it makes me feel uncomfortable this is good because it should because it's not my area this is not my world and it's good no i mean i agree i mean you know and i've always i've always accepted that challenge if i you know you know if it's hard for me to feel like i want to fit in and i feel like i'm not I kind of accept that because it's just like, yeah. this isn't, this isn't my, this isn't my thing. It's their thing, but it's something that should be their thing. And I appreciate that. that I just want everybody, you know, to have their thing and feel comfortable. And I, you know, I, 
continue to be in a scene like punk rock because it has that kind of connecting community. I mean, yeah. it's just like, you know, when page 99 went and did all these tours and we did the, or the two tours and we did the benefit shows, um, it, 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 you know, and it was for a reason. And like the folks we met while doing it, were, you know, it's incredible. And it's just kind of really uniting to see like people reach out and say, thank you. And, you're like, well, thank you. And, you know, it's just like, it's what you want out of, it's what you want out of punk rock, you know. But, but before Team Dretch, we had The Cure with the song The Same Deep Water As You from their LP Disintegration. Probably next to Head on the Door, my favorite Cure record. Yeah, those are the top two for me. In fact, like for a better part of 20 years, Disintegration's numero uno. There was a couple years ago, just a couple years ago, I was jamming all the head on the door. I was like, you know what? You might be knocking on one of my favorite. You might almost kick off Disintegration. And like, yeah, those two albums are uh, my favorite Cure albums by far. And then Disintegration, I would say, is, is my favorite. And Same Deep Water As You has always been just that one of the best songs I've ever heard. It's that song, because we were talking about uh, Desert Island songs, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I were talking about it. I was like, you know what? Uh, same Deep Water, it's a depressing song to have as a Desert Island song. So I would have to have a, an upbeat song with it. But You'd have to have a buffer. <laughs> yeah, it's a nine-minute song, enough for you to reflect a little bit. It's comforting. It's warming. It doesn't depress me, is this, despite as dark as it is. But yeah. It's it's um one of I mean the cure again just like the Jesus Lizard and Born Against and is one of my all time favorite bands I absolutely I was gonna say because that's like like that one that band specifically is just it's so hard to pick a favorite song by them because I don't know what happened somewhere I don't know how Rob what he drank or if he hit his head somewhere or what he did to figure out to like. I know how to write the perfect pop song now. Fuck you all. <laughs> like he just figured it out. Yeah. No, and he's... like he's just got this fucking mind for like pop songs that are just like, but he can make them dark and brooding, but they're still like, you could walk down the street and hum the melody for this song. It's dark as shit, but you're going to like hum it and be like, oh, it's catchy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, they, there's not, I mean, I'm I'm in my basement, which is loaded with records. And if I could show you the Cure collection, I probably have 50 plus Cure records on on vinyl, like probably a stack like that. Are you buying like the singles and all that stuff? And I have the singles. I have um I have the original of like some hard to find records. Like I have Wish. I have oh that's cool. Wild Mood Swings. Um, kind of the pricier '90s ones that are just like really expensive. Um. Which, by the way, I don't know if you saw that they're reissuing uh, Wild Mood Swings in the picture disc. Yeah, uh, picture disc. Yeah. Yeah, they've been doing the picture disc for years, which, I mean, with the uh, record store day, which I think is cool because people get a chance to get their records and yeah. it's kind of more of a mainstream, like selling on picture disc. But, but a, a record like Wild Mood Swings, I think I might have paid $200 for that Holy record. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean... There's the a couple of the Cure records I paid like a lot of money for. Wish, basically, Wish and Wild Mood Swings. 
Yeah. But uh, disintegration I own on tape. I own on record. I own on CD. <laughs> I have like, so I think, much. I think disintegration is the one that I, the same thing. I own tape. I think I own the CD and I have the LP and then I also own mixed up, which is the record that came up right after it. I want to say. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, that's a great, like that Paul that, Oakenfold remix of um, close to me. The shit. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. It was, did that come on? Did that come? So that's head on the door. That. What's that? What is it on? The original close to me is on head on the door. Oh, head on the door. Yeah. yeah. And so that remix was on mixed up. Yep. So I think that came out. I did buy that record store today on picture disc because I didn't have it on, on vinyl at all. So I was like, I'll just get this. <laughs> and and it has some awesome stuff. It, yeah. I hadn't heard, like I'd heard it cause I had it on CD, but it's just been a long time and I got it and I was like, Oh man, shit. I really like this record. It's almost like having a new cure record. They really are one of their, like if I had to, despite like worshiping, like, the Jesus lizard and born against. If I had to pick a band to take to a desert Island, it might be the cure because their catalog spans so much eclectic music. Like yeah. they have so many, like they have a lot of world like sounding stuff, like a lot of like different, like international different sounds. And then they have pop music. They have like goth, they have punk, yeah. they have power pop. I mean, they are, <laughs> they are really, they are really, Great! Band. I've been waiting for them to come out with a, that new record that he teased a couple years ago. Oh yeah, too. dude! Because I saw them in 26. So I've seen them twice. The last time was really great because it was the tour. They were pulling out really deep cuts. They had played "Sinking" off of the last song off of uh, "Head on the Door," which is one yeah, of my dude. favorite songs. It's so dark. The lyrics are really beautiful. Mm-hmm. and they played that song and they played burn off the crow soundtrack they played a lot of cool deep cuts on that concert and they had played one new song off that they had teased that will be on the next record it was fantastic <laughs> i was like oh my god is the cure returning to form give this to me and i've you know and i've heard it i've like listened to people who have like you know bootlegged it and stuff and yeah it's, yeah i was like to double check i'm like yeah this is a fucking great song these guys need to put this damn album out have you heard halo the song halo i don't think no maybe not dude okay look up when you get a chance when we get done doing this go on youtube and look up the song halo by the cure okay i don't know i don't know if you know chad no it's old it's like it's a b-side from i want to say wish or kiss me kiss me kiss me i want to say it's from that era but uh, do you know Chad Darby at all from Gainesville? He played in Avercu. Now he plays bass in Sam I Am. Anyway. Was, was he in um, um, Chad Darby? Sounds super familiar. Was he in uh, System 2600? Maybe. I'm not that it, familiar. There was with a dad in that band from Florida. They did a split with City of Caterpillar. I don't know if like, it's the same guy. Might be, might not be, but anyway, he was like, he's a bass player, and he was like, you know, I was talking about Cure with him. He's like, have you ever heard the song Halo? I was like, no. He's like, check that song out, that bass line in that song, and the whole song in general. It's like, it's one of those songs when you listen to it, you're like, why is this not on a record? Yeah, like it should have been on a record because it's insane. So yeah, when we get done, look up Halo by the Cure. It's one of my favorite Cure songs. I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. I may have heard it because I have so much stuff. 
You just might not be familiar with the fucking title. <laughs> All right. And then before the cure, we had uh, a band from Seattle called Nirvana. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of them. Uh, with the song Oh the Guilt from their split with the Jesus Lizard from 1993. Uh, so choosing a Nirvana song, this is kind of, it's a hard one for you and like if someone was like choose a nirvana song it'd be like i don't fucking know what to choose yeah it's just a hard one so why did you choose oh the guilt is it because jesus lizard was in your list of songs or um yeah i mean i i I think maybe because of the jesus lizard connection i I think like also i i was thinking a lot about like our connection and like underground punk music and i i do remember that page 99 right before we broke up started and practice started covering Oh the Guild. Oh, and really? I like, yeah. I mean, it was just to the T, just exactly the way Nirvana played it. Nothing special, but just yeah, yeah. to play that song, like exactly the way you heard. And, and it was just, it was really cool. And maybe I just thought, you know, and I, I choosing a, one Nirvana song is hard because, yeah, I mean, I'm like every other teenager that's, or, you know, like every other person my age when they were a teenager grew up <laughs> yeah. with Nirvana and that it was the gateway to everything. So I, I like almost everything Nirvana's ever done. So, uh, you know, Oh, the guilt's always been up there as one of my favorite songs. Um, it did make, it's funny cause I first heard the Jesus lizard through Nirvana and I didn't like that song. I didn't like Puss on the other side, you know, the other side of the Nirvana record. I was like, nah, this isn't, this sounds really weird and almost sounds just, it just didn't hit. But I was like, wow, Nirvana is like got a, like an unreleased track on this record while yeah, Jesus yeah. was just putting something they've released. <laughs> just like, that's so weird. It's obviously like who, who's kind of like looking up more to, you know, it's like obviously Nirvana wanted to bring something to the table. Oh, sure. um, I just think it's kind of a quintessential like grunge. It sounds grunge and noise rock at the same time. It like it it it, it shows you where grunge, how grunge, like that song sounds like where grunge came from. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like okay, if Nirvana are grunge, they brought a song with them that sort of was the sound below. encapsulates. What, yeah, just yeah, you know, just real simple catchy and dirty and kind of like kind of heavy and then at the same time it has like those pop tendencies that like uh never mind had all over and then you know obviously band other bands from that era had as well i thought this is you know this is heavy it i can relate at least to like you know playing heavy music and stuff yeah. like having covered it and everything but you know, I can't say enough about Nirvana. It introduced me to everything. It was, it was, it was what made me want to play guitar initially. You know, seeing like all the chaotic throwing around of guitars and the noise. <laughs> it was so impressionable. And I remember when I first picked up a guitar, I was playing with my thumb. Yeah, yeah. And that, and I was, but I loved the noise. I didn't know what I was doing. I just <laughs> wanted to keep making noise with it, and it was because of Nirvana. It's oh yeah. I'd heard Nevermind. I was like, I want to do this somehow before nirvana like i must have been so 91 i was like fifth grade or something but i was always way into music as a kid but my first love ever was hip-hop like i got way into like the first thing i ever bought was 
uh, with my own money was uh, Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions when I was mm-hmm. in like the fourth grade or something. I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about, but I just loved hip hop music. Yeah, same. That, Absolutely. yes, that was like your thing too. Like, yeah, yeah. But then I don't know, like I was watching MTV and I saw the music videos for Smells Like Teen Spirit and I saw Dave Grohl do the and I just like something in my head because like when I was really young my dad got me into ACDC so like first grade like my favorite band was ACDC because I was just a kid I was impressed by my dad's stuff and I would bang on pots and pans but when I saw that music video being a kid that was like super young kid into like BET's Rap City and Yo MTV Raps and then I saw the music video for Nirvana and Dave Grohl doing that fucking I was like that's what I want to do. That's it. That's what I want to do. I wanted to play drums, but the band that got me into playing in a band was Jawbreaker, but it all started from Nirvana. It was all from that video. Like, yeah, that's what I want to do. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and you as a, with, you know, you playing drums, John, like I, you know, that fill is so simple and classic, but Mm -hmm. that, you know, everybody knows it. Like, cause if, every band you know we covered it every band when they started playing music <laughs> in the 90s tried to do their but nobody played that 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 fill that well you know but it's perfect i mean we're not stupid i think everybody who listens to music our age knows that that there something special happened it might have been one of the last times you catch lightning in a bottle or something whatever whatever yeah <laughs> whatever people might think of a band that was in the right place at the right time that spoke for a particular generation like you know sometimes i feel like i sound like a broken record like you know i've talked to friends doing podcasts and anything like anytime i've talked to friends about music or whatever i'm like yeah nirvana and it's just always (laughs) you can't help it nirvana and it's probably clean across the board so my first love was hip-hop and I can't, I am who I am because of all that early hip hop for like three years straight, just buying everything. Like, yeah. Goals of mischief, ghetto boys, like, you know, too short. And- yeah. Too short. <laughs> I mean, you know it. I mean, dude, we got to share yeah. play, our playlist. Cause it's just, you know, the, you know, it's all, I'm sure it's the same bell, the funky homo sapien and far side. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just, to me, it's like that, like, it doesn't feel so far removed for me from like punk or hip hop to punk rock. It really doesn't. Cause if you look at like the early, like even the grandmaster flash and the Furious five videos, the message and all that stuff, those dudes are dressed like punks. Yeah. They kind of have that, like the, the studded bracelets and stuff, a little bit more flashy for me to go from like NWA to, uh, (laughs) to fucking discharge. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> while yeah. their musical yeah. styles are completely different the message and everything and the feeling behind it is exactly the fucking same yeah yeah i, I completely agree i mean yeah same exact same deal i'd just be like yeah for me it'd be like yeah the ghetto boys and the to born against like yeah. same same deal like you know that, that literally there was maybe two years that divide my worship of like a band like the ghetto boys into born again so 
we're going to kick off the next three song set with the band Archers of Loaf, who actually I might be seeing in Chicago in a couple of weeks, which I'm pretty stoked on. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I can get in. It's sold out, but we'll see what happens. I'm trying to finagle This was all their shit. The makeup tour, right? That they were yeah. doing? Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So we're going to kick the next set off with Archers of Loaf and their song Underdogs of Nip Omo. I cannot yeah. pronounce that. Nip Omo from the album VV right here on Gimme Danger Radio.
Definitely, this is the wrong place to be There's blood on the futon There's a kid drinking fire Going down to the sea They got people to meet Shaking hands with themselves Looking out for themselves When they ask you for credit Give them a branch When they want you to get it Chew on the grass I know, I know Cause they told me to tell you There's nothing to tell you There's nothing to sell you In the afternoon Riding the scapegoat Burning equipment Decomposing Cool off your jets Take off your sweats, I got a funny feeling They got plastic in the afterlife When they want you to cry Leap into the sky When they suck your mind Like a pigeon you fly I know, I know It's the positive people Running from their time Looking for some feeling That was Beck with the song Cyanide Breath Mint from his album One Foot in the Grade that came out in 1994. Uh, the same year as his classic Mellow Gold record, but Mellow Gold came out on Geffen Bong Load. This record came out on K. He had a pretty interesting way of, uh, or his contract at the time with the major label allowed him to do whatever he wanted. So he put out the LP One Foot in the Grave on K. On, on K. And you're listening to Gimme Danger Radio with my host, or my guest. I'm sorry, we've been we've had a couple beers. This is Mike Taylor. Mike Taylor has been in Pan's Page 99. He's also in the band Terminal Bliss currently, but he was also in Haram and Pygmy Lush and many other bands. But anyway, Mike, out of all the Beck songs, minus the recent shit, which is to me not that great, why did you choose Cyanide Breathment off One Foot in the Grave? um this song i mean i you know early on again you know with uh getting into nirvana and stuff like that uh beck was obviously huge and came out of nowhere too but he uh, he came from like an indie rock background um which after mellow you know my first introduction obviously being mellow gold like everybody's yeah i kind of delve a little bit deeper and kind of immediately found one foot in the grave and that record was just real stripped and I don't know. It was maybe around the same time I was kind of picking up on Leonard Cohen a little bit, actually maybe a couple of years before, but like, I just thought it was really cool. I was like really pretty raw folky kind of songs that are super know, weird too. Yeah. Really weird lyrics. I mean, <laughs> and I, I love mellow gold. I actually would put mellow gold as one of my favorite records from that, that era. You know, mm. I, I, I love that album. And, um, some, that was a shore um, staple for sure oh yeah and i really that's awesome oh yeah it was a staple in the van without question yeah, that no, uh, john wayne's uh texas funeral the, <laughs> no i i love that album and it's i could easily pick a couple songs off that record but um one foot in the grave with me and my brother it's always been like one of our you know the older we get we're like that's the record that me and my brother actually like 
one of the records we agree all a hundred percent on being like such a great record. Like we love so many, there's just a lot, a lot of, a lot of really pretty ballads. And I think maybe like listening to stuff like Sebado, like there's, there's these really pretty songs on here and like yeah. kind of unusual, weirder lyrics, but sometimes a little bit kind of smart and clever. I think that's kind of, you know, he was really clever with the lyrics and everything. He was just a fucking weirdo. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, he was. I don't know where he came from, but I got into all the, the early records before Mellow Gold. And like, he had some like really fucking cool, heavy grunge stuff, like, you know, that wouldn't be popular, but he just, I would say actually, you know, thinking about it now, like thinking about how eclectic some of Beck's music is like, in the, I mean, still is it really, but in those first few years, like first, like, three or four records like pygmy lush actually took to that quite a bit we're like i mean take a a record like mellow gold and you have like these like heavy dirgy riffs yeah. and some of those older records that's straight up four chord grunge heavy grunge music and then these really pretty ballads and then these psychedelic dreamy songs like yeah when pygmy lush initially got together and wrote bitter river we were sort of thinking it's sort of like beck a little bit where you get some weird heavy song and then you get some really pretty folk song and yeah like we can do that or like husker do where they have a punk rock like a punk rock song and then they have this pretty like you know i don't know what you would call it like college rock for a lot <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i know they, what you're saying yeah. so basically like the uh, the candy apple gray record which is just right. like yeah a mix of all of it but yeah i mean like um they have some beck beck one foot in the grave still has some really great songs that you know chris and i personally really love and that record is one of my i would throw that somewhere in the the league of one of my favorite records i own it very much sounds like a k records album too just yeah just lo-fi and very folk influence and blues influence and it's funny because as i would get older and years would go by i would get into things like mississippi john hurt and skip james and some blues i'm like wow and sun house or something and yeah I was, yeah i was like wow beck is referencing a lot of really cool blues and shit that i didn't realize and that's pretty fucking cool and that sort of like led me in the blues which is a whole new a whole different world but i mean like definitely delve into that whole world quite a bit and i think a lot of ways because i was referencing i'm like oh i can connect this to that and yeah that's pretty cool i i got really into like finding out some weird shit through beck just like like the blues thing and like even some like really avant-garde uh composers just strange like philip glass and things like that yeah. just through yeah. back um and I ended up like, you know, like everybody's like, you know, Odelay is great. And, you know, mid like in those records are really great. Like Midnight Vultures and Odelay and Sea Change. And uh, the last guest I had on the show is my buddy Dan Fisher from Grand Rapids, who's really into um, what's the fucking record you put out? It's I think it's Sea Change. Yeah, it's Sea Change is the one where it's just his face on the cover. Mm -hmm. And I never listened to it because I was just like at that point, I had kind of just like tuned out. He's yeah, like, you should really go back and listen to Sea Change because it's fucking incredible. So it's a good it. record dude it's incredible it's it's really yeah. great so i thank dan for that but m to me my favorite shit by him is like mtv makes me want to smoke crack or like you know shit that's fucking just off the wall like it's folk but it's like punk 
weird shit you know yeah i mean and, and you know it's the theme so far you know it's the theme <laughs> of our conversation together it's like if we could sort of relate it somehow if it's like daring or dangerous or something like that it, yeah and 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 beck was a lot like that in the early days i think like you know nobody knew there was a lot of mystery to him nobody knew because it was like just after nirvana and here's i remember on mtv he, he showed up and he was just like so fucking weird and he had the big glass he, he was like another kurt cobain or something We're like okay was that the episode with uh thurston moore and him on 120 yeah. minutes yeah yeah, yeah. and they're breaking like, the phone yeah exactly out of nowhere i'm like okay and who's this dude and I mean, I think it's pretty cool that he's just such an eclectic artist now with so many references that seems to me that he keeps having a lot of inspiration and changing over the years. So while there are some later Beck albums I don't care for, yeah. every time he has a new album out, I check, I, I check like just about most of it just to be like, where see where he's at. And same stuff. here, same here. And same here. Like, I'm like, I might not like it, but shit, Beck's still going. And like, he's a, you know, a, he's a good artist. You know, he's, a, he seems pretty true to himself. And yeah. Yeah. And then and he just does, like you said, he seems to be, have some sort of contract where he can be who the, the chameleon that he wants to be. Yeah. And, he can do whatever he people, wants. <laughs> yeah. And he, people accept him for it. So he's, he's, he's gotta be one of the last artists that snaked in a deal like that yeah because like yeah, he got signed like 93 94 yeah so he must have been one of the last artists that got like that record deal that was like you can do whatever you want but you got to give us this many records and yeah like, yeah fine and that's so bizarre i mean he's just been going and going it's been so long it's been since like the early 90s think about that now it's like, i know I mean, I mean, when did Stereo Pathetic Soul Manure come out? Like 92, 93? Yeah, I mean, and before talking, that, he had like all those self-relief cassettes and shit? Yeah, we're talking like 30 plus years of music the guy's been doing. So, I mean, like, he's a he's a unique artist and I think he's still, I think he's still relevant. I mean, like, you know, I, I'm an old head, so I really like the old stuff that I grew up on, but. I appreciate it. And the last album I was blown away by was Sea Change. I love that record. And when, you know, I played in the band Mannequin for for about four or five years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And whenever there was a summer when we went on tour and we devoured that record. And that's what we listened to for like, you know, six weeks, two months straight. Just <laughs> that and whatever else. But I mean, we ate that record up when it came out. It was a really cool record. That's really cool. And then before Beck, we had Sonic Youth with Shadow of a Doubt from their LP Evol, which came out in 1986 on SST. Shadow of a Doubt, like, I knew who Sonic Youth was, it being a teenager. And I knew the song Cool Thing, and I knew Bull in the Heather, and I knew all that shit. But this was the song that literally sold me on this band. That's awesome. <laughs> this this is the this is my favorite Sonic Youth song out of all Sonic Youth songs. So I actually funny. hunted down an original copy of the SST press that still had the mail order fucking catalog in it. Really? Every, everything. Yeah, like everything. That's awesome. It's, it's pristine shape. It's my favorite Sonic Youth record. That and That's Sister. Great. Yeah, those are my two favorites too. Sister is my favorite. And you know, I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite, but Sister and 
evil from that 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 i kind of think of those as the twin records or something yeah and um and then they went on for that next era and became still even a great band but yeah that's funny i mean john we have so much we're just isn't like, it it's crazy in. right like the funny thing is, is like the only reason that I ever heard this song was I was watching, I was much like yourself, probably I, you were obsessed with 120 minutes, probably. Yeah. Okay. So I'm watching the 120 minutes, 10 year anniversary in 96 and Greg Dooley from uh, Afghan wigs is talking about his first memory of seeing 120 minutes. And he goes, my first memory of seeing 120 minutes is turning on the television and seeing Kim Gordon riding a train. Yeah. And it's the Shadow of the Doubt video and they played a little bit of it and it was just me hearing that like that guitar part and then like her vocals the way she sings that song it was like Yeah. I need to check out Sonic Youth now. Like I've known about them but like I need to really listen to this band and I bought that and it like it blew my mind. It Yeah, no I <laughs> I I completely agree. Like in that record, I mean you know, they have so many different styles of, I mean, obviously their guitar work is legendary, um, but those harmonics in that song are utterly beautiful. And, you know, I actually, I mean, I, you know, at the end of 99, for sure, we were referencing Sonic Youth like crazy on that majority rule split. We were like hitting some harmonics yeah, and yeah. I was, trying, I was <laughs> thinking of Sonic Youth big time. And in fact, we may have talked, but there's an unreleased Pygmy Lush record that references again the harmonics in that song. I'm thinking of that song when we're like trying to create this one song. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, it's one of my favorite things. And I, I hope that at some point that record comes out so people can hear that song. But it's like kind of different because, you know, you know, that band definitely made its. I mean, fuck, Sonic Youth has made its way into just about every band I've ever done because, like, they're like, oh, we're a band, but then we want to do a noise part. So yeah, the, the thing about Sonic Youth and in general, just in, in, in the scope of, like, American popular music, they've made their way. Like, if we were to listen to some popular song today, I guarantee you, if we took enough time to like dissect that song, we could be like, there's a little bit of Sonic Youth in there. Yeah. They've just, they're, they're like legit, like they're a pillar of American music, which is oh, fucking yeah. mind blowing to think about. Like, yeah, they're such a weird band. <laughs> yeah. But it's such a mind blowing to think. Like, fucking Daydream Nation is in the Library of Congress. Yeah. As a so landmark bizarre. American music record like that's fucking insane to me a band that came out of like the uh glenn bronca weird fucking no wave jazz scene yeah or, like that what the fuck it's a it's mind-blowing to me in practice i feel like sonic youth has influenced so many bands that they dare or be responsible for like i mean it's funny because Sonic Youth has definitely informed the way I think about music more than so many bands. While I don't know if I think Sonic Youth is definitely one of my favorite bands. I love them. I have, a, I have t-shirts like they're one of my favorite bands. <laughs> yeah. I have all their records, but they're a unique band in, in that I can't listen to them all the time because they're so unique and unto themselves that like, 
you know, it's not something I put on all the time, like maybe the cure or something, but like their art, the way they approach their art is so that like, you know, obviously are influenced by so much jazz and, and punk and, you know, all the early hardcore and so much, you know, unique one of a kind music that like, I think anybody from our era and generation picks up on that easily and like relates it to anything. I tried to tell someone once that like they wanted, they were going to buy confusion as sex. This was years ago. And they're like, what, like out of all the Sonic youth records, like, what does this one sound like? I'm like, confusion is sex is literally a record that is full of the best hardcore breakdowns that go nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. It, they're literally yeah. every song, like she's in a bad mood, like that. Dun, 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 dun. It's yeah. literally the best hardcore breakdown, like the build up to a hardcore breakdown that goes legit nowhere. It yeah. like it crashes, it it bursts, but it, then it goes back to the same thing. That whole record is like Thurston Moore going like, I dig hardcore but I don't want to play fast. I just want to do the breakdown parts. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, that's a spot on like analysis of it because, and you know, that's what I pick up on, you know, because, you know, page 99, pygmy lush, I mean, mannequin, mm-hmm. uh, Haram, a lot of the bands I played in have this like instrumental passages where they're building and they allow for free form noise. And that, that's Sonic youth. I oh, hundred percent. You know, I know on like, there's a split with majority rule for page 99 we had the one song I, I think it's the first song on the record i had the the uh build it was just like dun, 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 but i mean the build i was just i think maybe forever always and forever i'm trying to like do the moat break you know the the noise break and moat that's so beautiful yeah yeah like, I'm just like, how do we make this, you know, I mean, there, that last, the last page 99 thing in particular is very Sonic Youth Worship. And I think that was the direction we're going to go. And I think like, it's easy to say, oh, I influenced by Sonic Youth because they're such a good band. And like they, that if you were influenced by Sonic Youth, you could kind of do anything. So yeah, pretty much. I mean, like they're, they like, they're a punk band without being like studs, leather jackets, yeah, spikes. They're a fucking punk band. They just are. They just literally are. And they helped inform young punk rock kids like ourselves. Like, oh, have you ever heard um, Brian Eno? Yeah. And it's like, even though Brian Eno is not punk as fuck, or have you ever listened to Roxy music or have you ever listened to T-Rex or have you ever listened to um, some weird Japanese composer? Mm -hmm. And this is where it all comes from. It's all punk. It's all punk. That's just what it is. And that band is legit. The embodiment of punk rock, I think, even though they don't sound like the Buzzcocks or the, the Sex Pistols or the Ramones or Discharge, they're legit. The embodiment of punk rock. Yeah, no, I agree. They just kind of do what they take. They're abstract artists and take what they want, you know, and, and and make it work. And, you know, again, talking about bands that get, you know, sign a deal and get to do whatever they want. They've, they've definitely, they definitely had their, their ride for sure to like 
to the full, full, <laughs> to fulfill their like artistic their dreams. Yeah. And also they are responsible for Nirvana. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I Nirvana's agree. like mainstream success legit comes from Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon going up to David Geffen and being like, you should probably sign this band. Uh huh. Yeah. And then, and then basically them. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously, you know, you read all the Nirvana books and they're like, well, we wanted to sign Geffen because Sonic Youth was on Geffen. Yeah. And it seemed like they were getting, you know, they had a goo and dirty, dirty boots. And it's just like, okay, they're getting what they want and they're writing these monumental, like grunge, iconic albums. And, yeah. you know, then Nirvana came after. So, how funny. And then before Sonic Youth, and to kick the last set off of the show, we had one of my favorite bands from the 90s who should have been as big as a Sonic Youth or anything like that. Arches a Loaf with the song Underdogs of Nipoma from their LP, VV. Now, VV, the second record from Arches a Loaf, and this song, probably not the song that I would have chose off this record i love this song but i would have been like immediately if someone's like hey be on my podcast and pick your 10 songs and i would have chosen archer's love song i probably would have gone straight for hard harness and slums yeah it's a great one but it's an easy one it's an it's it's an easy one it's a it's an easy pull of the trigger this song not so much so why did you choose this one off this record um this song so i got into um archer's loaf the first time I ever heard them was the Mallrat soundtrack. I somehow came oh, across. Oh fuck! I forgot they were fucking on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could barely hear their song in the movie, but it's in there. I think it's in the one that dressing room scene. What song is but, it? Is it Web in Front? Web in Front. Yeah. And I love the song. And then I was like, "Well, who is this?" And then I bought, you know, I bought Iggy Metal, and that's when I fell in love with them. So Web in Front. I mean, actually. Arches of Loaf have so many songs I could have put on here, like Chumming the Oceans, an amazing, Dude. beautiful song. It's yeah. like one of the sweetest, be- most beautiful songs I've ever heard. And uh, Scenic Pastures. That's a great one, too. Um, all the, the, the um, Dead Red Eyes, the first couple tracks off of um, White Trash Heroes. Oh, yeah, man. They, they, have, they are the quintessential. Sebado, if I have two indie rock bands I pick, Sebado and Arches of Loaf are my two. Oh, yeah. And Arches of Loaf definitely inform quite a bit of my guitar worship. Like the way they played, they have all these like really damaged sounding, almost like Polvo too, which I fucking love. Polvo. Oh, dude. <laughs> and Polvo could have easily been on this, this too. They might have been the next song, but like, uh, Pol- like Polvo and like, you know, because I was into maybe Polvo, maybe a little bit before Arches Loaf, and then I heard Arches Loaf, and I was like, okay, like this is that same weird damage, like guitar sound broken out of tune, but yeah, they're making them sound so tuneful and like pretty. So that song is just like a guitar rock song to me, and like that little break that you know they'll yeah, dude, and then that. <laughs> i mean it's just and then it just keeps building and repeating and it's like it's just a really good song and that album's really good it's hard to pick those first couple archers of loaf songs i mean records most of archers of loaf's material to me like absolutely love and i yeah i'd never seen the band so when they were what you've never seen them i've never seen them so when they what? were slated to do this tour 
I yeah. was like, okay, I'm going to see him because I missed him. I actually had it. I forget who they were going to play. I had never seen Sebado either until they reunited. And I finally saw him a couple times, mm-hmm. but there was a show I missed that I kicked myself in the ass for over and over again. It was either set. It was either Sebado and Jawbox together oh, or Sebado Jawbox and Archer's a loaf or something. And I'm just like, <laughs> man, like, how did I miss this show? It's just like every great indie rock band. On yeah. the <laughs> but um, I didn't see him. And like their new material sounds fucking fantastic. And, I'm like, I'm definitely going to try to make it to check them out. The one thing that I've always like really was impressed by Archer's a loaf is like, you mentioned it earlier. They get like the damaged guitar sound. Like, I don't know how those dudes wrote songs because like when you listen to them, it's like, how was that guitar part working with that guitar part? How did the bass player find where to play? Like, how are you guys coming up with that shit? Like, it's just weird guitar. Like it might not be as weird as I think it being a drummer. I don't really, I'm not really guitar minded, but like just listening to it, I'm like, it doesn't seem normal what you're doing. Like one guitar player is playing something completely different from the other guy, but it works. Yeah. You know, I mean, it might be like, you know, we're just talking about, you know, or thinking about like Sonic Youth, like, you know, they might be, the next best logical extension of a band like that where it's just these guitar you know these guitar bass playing wizards just off on their own world just coming together as one and doing their thing yeah i think like i mean i love all their every single one of their records is great to me i don't think they write have written in a a bad record there's not a slump like it's all good the whole time and everything i've heard that they've recorded new i'm like Arches Loaf. They're just <laughs> a talented band. Yeah. And they're all back together and you can't shake a stick at it. So and it's just really yeah. funny to me. Like you got this, you got that band with those dudes doing whatever they're doing on a guitar. And it's like the only thing really keeping it tethered is dude playing drums. He's keeping yeah. it like completely controlled and tethered. Cause like what those dudes are playing on guitar, I still don't understand. Like I'm still yeah, like trying to wrap my head around it it's all over the place and it's really pretty. Like I remember just around the same time, like, so I got into like um, VV and icky metal at the same time. And then the next record I got was like the speed of cattle compilation that had like the smaller versions of some of the songs. And Mm -hmm. then like just other random songs of just like guitar rock nonsense. And I'm just like, man, these guys are just off on a whole nother level. (laughs) They really are. Mike. This was a lot of fun, dude. Did you have fun? Yeah, no. Absolute blast. So before we get out of here, uh, let the people know what's going on. What's what's new? What's what's coming up? What's going on with Terminal Bliss? Uh, well, fill me in. What's going on in your world? Well, okay, for me, Terminal Bliss is current. Well, Terminal <laughs> Bliss is the only band that's active currently. Um, we, you know, we started just before COVID. Yeah. So a year and it's funny just thinking it's like a, it's been a year and a half now. It's been a year and seven months already. <laughs> yeah, dude. Insane. But um, we we had the EP come out on Relapse back in February, mm-hmm. and Relapse has been amazing to work with. Like I've, all these years of working with DIY labels and stuff, it's like actually kind of refreshing to deal with a label that's kind of 
they're they're not like i mean i guess they are mainstream and extreme music they're not really mainstream but like they're a really renowned independent label and they still very much conduct themselves independently and very professionally so it's that's been an absolute pleasure working with them and we do have like more stuff we're going to continue to work with them we have another record we're working on for them like an absolute like an actual full length awesome so at some point you know the next group of tunes will be with uh relapse um and we do have you know we have our first show coming up in richmond and hopefully uh, hopefully we have a bunch more kind of in the fall and the winter we're talking to a couple other like venues and places and we want to try to get some stuff together and uh, one of the other things i'm hoping is that pygmy lush starts playing again that's my <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. my big thing because we have a record that we recorded back in 2016 with Kurt Ballou, like a full album. It was supposed to come out on Robotic Empire, but the band sort of fizzled out like we lost some members. And then yeah, we just never kind of picked it back up. And we just keep talking about, all right, when are we going to do this? Like our last we we haven't played since 2016. And we've been we've been, I you know, as the years go by, it's been shit five years now we're just like aching to like all of us are like well we should do it and like well, when are we gonna do it and we have a whole <laughs> album to put out. Like, and the album i love i it's like different than anything we've put out it's got a lot of heavy but pr- mm-hmm. it's got pretty heavy and then it's got like really savage noise rock and punk going on in it and it's like uh, it's a really cool record and dude i, I want to hear that shit i i will send it to you yeah for sure. So you can hear it, but, uh, I it has a lot of, uh, you know, I hope it here, uh, sees the light of day and I don't know, you know, Lindsay who does robotic empire and I both talked about like, you know, I've kind of expressed interest in maybe buying it. She fronted for the recording for it. And, yeah. and, uh, I'm like, well, can I give you some money? So I don't want you sitting on like no returns forever as she has been for a long time. So maybe like, we can put it out in time, you know, when we're ready or whatever. I just don't like that. She hasn't gotten her money back. And honestly, I'm sad that the band has just not done anything, but yeah. uh, I, I do hope, I do hope that the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022 sees big me lush playing again. I would, I would love that immensely. I would too. That would be great. That'd be really cool. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. I had a blast talking with you, man. And yeah, I look forward to you coming out here and we actually can hang out and do this nerd out shit yeah we together. need to nerd out some beers <laughs> some records pretty much sounds what we're good, doing now man. except for we'll be playing the music sounds good man well we are playing the music but we'll be like yeah. with each other playing the music exactly well all right man thank you so much i thank you my friend and there it is my conversation with my good buddy mike taylor of the band's terminal bliss pygmy lush page 99 haram mannequin and so many others. I hope everybody out there enjoyed it. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Mike in person at some point so we can nerd out about music, uh, like we said in the uh, interview there. Um, I'm really hoping that you know they get a chance to tour, uh, You know, considering where the world's at right now. Who knows? Who knows if that's actually gonna happen, but it would be nice to see them. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please get vaccinated, uh, do your part. Let's let's try to make it so at some point in the future, I don't know when, that we can maybe get back to some semblance of normalcy with life. At least 
so we can go to shows and see friends and be in public spaces without the worry of getting someone sick or um, you know killing someone with get by getting them sick you know I just please get vaccinated if you have the ability to do so um, other than that be safe wear a mask in public places just don't be an idiot is basically what it's coming down to just be respectful of others be a kind human being anyway thanks for listening to the show again if you want to reach out to me feel free to email me at give me danger radio at yahoo shoot me a message on instagram and twitter um but yeah look for the next episode in the coming weeks it should just be a mix of some 80s and 90s hip-hop which i'm really looking forward to putting together because i love that stuff and i'm gonna get on the uh ball with getting some more guests here on the show but i'm glad you tuned in thank you again to mike uh and you know check out terminal bliss uh it should go to relapse.com buy the copy of their ep and look for uh some new music from them uh and if you haven't heard of any mike's of mike's previous bands page 99 pygmy lush mannequin haram look those up too some of the stuff might not be on the streaming sites so you might have to find it on youtube either way worth your time to dig into mike's a great guy the music that he plays is great uh again just had a great time doing this so thank you for tuning in and i look forward to seeing you or uh playing some music for you here soon thanks again (laughs) 